Jessica Shayan, welcome. Thank you very much for putting out with me. How are you? <laughs> Great. Thanks for having us. How are you today? Pretty good. Hey, so look, we, we're here to talk about the consortium. So why don't we just start off with that? Can you guys just tell me a bit about what your roles are in there and what it is that you guys do? If you want, I'm just going to be pointing fingers here. <laughs> I'll start with Jessica. Yes, sure. So I'm Jessica Levesque. I'm the executive director at C4, and we're a nonprofit organization from Canada. And we work with open blockchains in terms of certifications and education. So we're, we started in 2014, and the idea for C4 came from Michael Perklin and Joshua McDougall with the idea that there was no way currently to, at that time, to be able to prove your knowledge, to show that you actually understood Bitcoin, which was our first certification. So um, a certification was created in order for people to be able to jump into the exam go through 75 questions in 20 minutes to prove that they understand the technology. And this was extremely important at the time because so many people were claiming to be Bitcoin experts and didn't actually understand the technology. And there was not a benchmark to show that, in fact, you did have the knowledge to work in the industry or something, you know, to be able to be on a podcast about it. And there was so much misinformation out there. So that is where C4 kind of grew from. And the Certified Bitcoin Professional, the CBP, was our first exam. And then we've been updating it along the way with a committee, the Certified Bitcoin Professional Committee. And we then formed the Certified Ethereum Professional Committee, which is where Cheyenne comes into play. Um, and so the CEP exam committee, everything, we'll be talking about that during this. And so Cheyenne, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you got involved with C4? Uh, sure. Thanks, Jessica, for the quick intro. Um, so I'm Cheyenne Iskandari. Um, a bit like a short background. Um, I got introduced to Bitcoin like in around 2012, and it was fascinating for me because um, I'm originally from Iran and having a money or a software that no one can tell you not to use was just out of this world. Um, and I got like playing around with it. Uh, my background is computer security and information technology. Um, and I wanted to break it. I was like, this is too good to be true. After six months, basically it broke me and I changed my subject to reason was working on Bitcoin. And since then I've been full-time blockchain basically. Uh, and we had a short talk before the recording about like every day you realize how much you don't know. I remember the first job I had in the crypto was a uh, blockchain engineer at the Bitcoin ATM startup. And by then I thought I knew everything about Bitcoin. And I joined in and I had to write a wallet from to make tra transactions from scratch. And I was like, I have no clue how mm. this works. And I remember buying Mastering Bitcoin book and going through actual details of the transaction to figure out a lot of details. And um, so a bit flash forward, um, I remember that As Jessica was saying, on LinkedIn, there were like more Bitcoin and blockchain experts than a lot of other job titles in 2017, especially. And um, that was something that was like bothering me too. And later on, when I was talking to Josh and uh, Jessica, and they were talking about how the certification exists and how we, they're thinking about having the Ethereum one. And that's actually where I was more deep down in Ethereum because I changed, basically, I was working with consensus diligence uh as uh, small contract security um an auditor so i was like really deep down into ethereum and that was perfect because we, we found some other people to work with on this committee and um thanks for the committee to vote on me being the lead um and basically do the same thing as before but now the title it's interesting um, and Cheyenne, you just reminded me of how we first met So we, Cheyenne and I met in 2019 for the blockchain training conference, which is hosted by C4. And Cheyenne was one of our teachers there. So he and I first met um, on a video call to chat about what he was planning to do for his um, presentation, for his course. And we really wanted to focus on the courses being 
friendly in terms of like a good learner experience. We didn't want people that were just up there talking. We wanted it to be interactive, fun. You know, sometimes when you're talking about solidity, like Cheyenne was, it might kind of be like, oh. So we wanted to make sure that the people Mm -hmm. that were at the conference teaching were going to put on, you know, a good class and that it was going to be engaging. So Cheyenne and I first talked um, before the conference to get an idea of how it might work. And then we met in Denver for that conference in 2019. And because of your experience, Cheyenne, we asked you to be a part of the com- the founding of the committee. So basically, we all gotten, got together in a room and just kind of discussed what this could look like, what we want to do. And then things moved from there into um, Cheyenne becoming the committee leader. And I feel like that kind of just happened organically because of all of your work within the committee. It seemed like a good fit. Um, and then we just moved from there. Yeah, exactly. And just to wrap up my, my um, intro, uh, currently I'm the chief technology officer at Ether Capital. Um, and shortly, just to mention what Ether, we do at Ether Capital is, um, so Ether Capital is a publicly traded company. And uh, it's it's mainly like trying to expose the public sector to Ethereum and Web3 and blockchain uh, as like the yield and investment. But um, I joined in like in September. So and this is a move to like move from just like a passive investment company to a technology company doing staking, doing the DeFi strategies and other things that uh, it's going to be exciting 2022. I love hearing how people get into the industry. Carlos, have you shared uh, before on this about how you got into the industry and how you started the podcast and everything? Well, th- th- that's a funny story. I was just talking about it yesterday on the on another podcast that I was invited to. Uh, I started out in crypto because I got hired by an ICO marketing agency. And I lied my way through the interview telling them like, yeah, of course I know, of course. Well, I had heard about Bitcoin like eight years prior to that. No, okay. like seven. Anyways, I had heard about Bitcoin back in like 2011. I didn't care for it. I thought it was dumb. Uh, and so, but I, I got offered this job in Cyprus and all. And I thought it would be pretty cool to to go check out the island, to go learn about ICOs, get rich, etc. None of that happened. The job was a total scam. Um, everything went south very fast for me from there. Like I ended up living in Georgia because I needed to flee like the European Union. Uh, Georgia, uh, ex-Soviet Union, not Georgia, USA. Uh, actually, I have a lot of Iranian friends from my time in Georgia uh, because basically I look like them. Um, so... <laughs> And after that, eventually, like, anyways, I I was in Cyprus for like three months, which was how long like my work beside there lasted for. Um, but I, I made so many friends in that crypto community in Cyprus that that trip turned out to be like the most productive thing I've, I've done in my life, uh, because everyone sort of like had a crypto project or something and they knew me that I was like creative and hardworking. So they, so I got invited to a bunch of stuff and that's how I ended up in Decor, which is like the crypto research firm uh, that I'm a part of and that we do this podcast for. Uh, so in the end, it all turned out all right. And doing the, doing the podcast for Decor has been great because being a crypto research firm, uh, we don't really need to have a an angle of like trying to sell anything. We have our, our own services and actually being objective in the podcast helps a lot <laughs> See, to promote the agency. So it's been pretty sweet. Thank you. No, no one ever asks, asks I, me things in this podcast. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating. When you talk to people who are in this industry, they come from all over the place. Like I come from education. I'm a former college professor and associate dean, um, worked at community colleges. And now I'm in this industry, which I never would have thought of. I mean, I think I was like most people when I first heard about Bitcoin, I'm like, okay, whatever. I know I've heard uh, Andreas Antonopoulos says nerd money. I think I've heard other people say that too. And it's like, oh, okay. And then you start to learn more and you're like, okay, so this is more than what it sounds like to begin with. This is a way to change the world. It's a way to do important things things in a different way. And um, that is, I think, what appeals to a lot of people that get into it. There's obviously the other side of the people trying to 
get rich quick, but that does not often work for them. So hopefully, hopefully the get rich quick people um, stay out of this and the people who care about the technology and where we can go from here are starting to, you know, continuing to funnel in more, which is what we like to see at C4. We're not giving investment advice. We're really focused on um, sharing with people how to learn and, um, like, I guess not how to learn, where to learn, because it's hard to find the resources out there and to know if they're accurate or not. And then it's hard to hire people in the industry and know whether or not they actually understand the technology. Um, because like you said, Carlos, when you started, you were like, oh, yeah, I know about that. But this is sort of a way to measure. Do you actually or are you just trying to get a job? Um, and I do think that there's something to be said for learning as you go about things. But also, if you're hiring somebody to write a blog article on Bitcoin and they don't know who's, you know, they're like Satashi Nakamol, who's, you know, it's like, um, this might not be the right fit for you. I did a podcast the other day with uh, this lady from, she's the CEO of Hack and Proof. That's a crypto auditing firm. And she was telling me about how she even preferred hiring people that admitted not to know too much about blockchain because then they could get on learning and she knew how to manage their learning curve. But of course, if people lie to you, then they just make a mess and, and you cannot help them because you trust them to know what they're doing. So she, I thought that was pretty funny that they actually prefer if someone has good qualifications and tell them, okay, I don't know about this stuff. I want to learn. That's interesting. Like, okay, this is how we can teach you. Uh, well, I mean, I, if I'm going to get back to Shane in a good... minute. But like, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, if you've got the resources at your company, do your own internal testing and education. That's different than if you're trying to hire people and just need, you know, some help to figure out whether or not they are in fact educated, but yeah, go ahead, Cheyenne. No, I want to say like, this is a good segue to say like why this certificate, like we started working at the certificates at exactly that point. Like it doesn't matter if someone comes in and said, like, I know it or not, you can just say like, this is a certification that go, go to this exam, give me a result and we'll, we'll follow, we'll go from there. Just like mm -hmm. it, it defines kind of like a starting point, like a ground level that like we know what we're talking about, at least. Um, it's similar to like the information security industry in like early 2000s that anyone could say like, uh, like I work on direct secure code or like I'm like a penetration tester, tester. But what does that mean? Does that mean like you're running some tools or you know what you're talking about? And there were like so many certificates coming out just for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask Jessica, um, because you come from tech, Cheyenne, so I know like you will have an easier time or, or friends that are easier to explain these things. But <laughs> coming from education, Jessica, do you tell people you work in crypto? Because I, I come from marketing and I hate telling people I work in crypto. Um, In general, if somebody random asks me like, you know, that I don't know very well and just says, what do you do? I say that I'm in technology education and certification. Because often if I okay. say, oh, you know, blockchain technology or Bitcoin, it's like, what? Huh? I mean, st people still haven't heard of Bitcoin or they, and, and, you know, and a lot more people haven't heard of Ethereum. And then there are a lot of people that have bought into the news cycles that talk about crypto really negatively. And if it's just in passing, I kind of just let that go. But I do think that people who are outside the industry or don't understand how it works really benefit from people like us who get it and are willing to be patient and sort of explain why. I also think when, if I say, oh yes, I'm interested in Bitcoin and somebody knows me, but doesn't know what I do, they might take a step back and say, oh, I thought that, you know, it was for criminals, but you're not a criminal and you are trustworthy. And so like, why are you involved in this? I think it opens the doors for people who um, either find it daunting or have misinformation to be able to say that we're a part of it. Mm. But also if you're just passing by someone and they ask you and you say what you're involved in, it can be, it's like, it just opens kind of like a wormhole. So it depends on the person. It, it also, it, 
it does open a wormhole and um like you said you're willing to be patient i'm willing to be patient with some people <laughs> uh, i'm definitely not willing to be patient all the time with everyone equally but that that's that, that, that's just a, a tangent i wanted to ask you guys and whoever of you wants to tell me like more about it what, what can one expect to find in a bitcoin or ethereum certification when you actually sign up for a program yeah what's in there So why don't I talk a little bit about what the what C4 has for Bitcoin and then Cheyenne can talk about Ethereum or Ethereum certification more in detail. So um, our certified Bitcoin professional exam is for anybody who wants to show that they have the knowledge of Bitcoin. If you're a newbie, um, that's fine. I started as a newbie too. Like I said, I'm from education. I had very limited understanding of technology in general, the learning curve was very, very steep. Um, but once I started to figure out, you know, it came along for me, which <clears throat> I think just shows that anybody can understand this technology and get into it. So the CBP exam has a few different resources to learn about Bitcoin and to be able to pass it. So we have the study guide on our website, on our website that goes over just what the exam covers. Then we have uh -huh. a course, which is much more detailed and it's on Udemy and it's on another site as well. And the, the purpose of the course is that somebody who knows very, very little about Bitcoin or pretty much can know nothing about Bitcoin except that it exists can take this course and learn what they need to know to be able to confidently speak about Bitcoin and write about it. And not in terms of the coding, but what, what it is, how it works, the purpose of it. And then they can take the exam and pass it. We have a really high pass rate for people that have taken our course. We also have a CBP prep book so that people who already have an idea of how Bitcoin works and they know sort of the 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 basics around it and don't need to be walked through it as much they can just read the prep book so we have a couple different options for that we also have youtube videos online blog posts things like that to help share the resources that we do have and the reason we created these resources is because it's hard to know where to get information from and what's accurate and mm. what isn't Um, and so it's a way to kind of direct people so that they can become educated and certified, which is our goal. And then after the CBP came into play, and this has been around, we've now started this other committee, the Certified Ethereum Professional Committee and Exam. And I will let Cheyenne explain what that is all about. Please go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. So as Jessica was saying, like the CBP is more when you want to when you're starting asking questions like what is money and who is responsible to print money or like what are the dynamics around it, which is like usually the rabbit hole you start to know when you get to Bitcoin. And for the Ethereum, we try to like, so first of all, the exam, the questions took more than a year of weekly meetings of all of the committee. Um, and we basically like met every, every week, came up with questions, discussed the questions, and then compiled them together. Uh, still, it has like some questions about like the nature of money and like centralized centralized services versus decentralized services. A bit of like the basic cryptography, not as much as in Bitcoin, because that's where you get into like what is symmetric and asymmetric cryptography. Some some of these questions on Ethereum one. There's also there's a back background fundamental which we kind of cut, and there's also unlimited depth of DeFi and like projects and the protocols. And like, so we had to like come up with like this sweet spot of what you need to know to be a good, let's say lawyer or like business person, like business dev in an Ethereum based company, like Ethereum related company. So we try mm -hmm. to like keep the question, not developer related, not technical in that sense, but fundamental as like, what is Ethereum? Um, The pass rate is, I think, around 50%. So that means that it's way harder than um, CBP and Bitcoin exam. But that's basically like the details of an Ethereum you need to know in order to like understand what's happening. Um, and the questions are, and so we don't have a course for CEP yet. It's 
it's working. The book is working. Jessica and others in the committee is working on that. Um, but we have the study guide on the website. Usually, I suggest people to like read when if you read Mastering Ethereum, even, not even the coding parts. Like just skip the codings. But if you read that, you should be able to pass the exam. And that's what uh, I usually suggest people to like look at. And that's a great book to just have around. I, I think something that you mentioned, Cheyenne, that maybe we should talk a little bit more about is how the exam was created and where we're going with this. So we really believe in community-driven projects and the community as a whole having this great knowledge that we can and should share with each other. So we consider ourselves part of the community, the Ethereum community amongst others. But mm -hmm. as part of the Ethereum community, we recognize that we needed to create a group of people or you know, put a group of people together to create the exam questions and to get this out there and make it happen. And that was done through the committee members, through a collaboration platform. And it might sound simple, but to create an exam that covers all of the different topics, and like Cheyenne was saying, isn't too detailed on some things. And with technology that changes quickly, how do you make sure that you're talking about the questions are about things that aren't changing like you know as you're written or if they are how do you follow up and make sure that you're keeping up with it so the committee created the exam questions in our crowdq platform went through um together as as a committee to make changes suggestions go through and it was quite a long process and then select, you know, how many questions do we want about DeFi? How many questions do we need about cryptography? Um, and, you know, the question pool is larger than the actual number of questions that you take in it. Um, and so there's, I think, over 300 questions in the question pool. And then the exam itself has 75 questions and it's 20 minutes. And we can talk a little bit more about the, the time frame and whatnot in a minute. But I do want to say that the reason that this exam was created by a committee was, like I said, we needed to get a base from it. But at C4, we really value the input of people that are volunteering their time. And we think that the exams should come from the community. The community should decide what is important, what information you need to know to prove your knowledge. So we actually earlier were talking about on a, a different stream we were on through C4, we were talking about how people can begin to participate in the CrowdQ platform. So basically, Carlos, we want you to ask questions. Listeners, we want you to ask questions. People that have become either CBPs or CEPs, we want those people to jump onto the platform and to be able to say like, hey, I didn't see a question about scalability. Why isn't that there? And to be able to propose something. And then mm. the committee jumps in and can say like, okay, let's move this forward and add this to the exam. Um, but no good idea, you know, evolves in a vacuum. We want the community to be giving the input that they know, we know that they have. So that is something that we are starting to push out. But in 2022, that will become a lot more present in what we're doing is having the community help create these exam questions. Cheyenne talked about mastering Ethereum. Um, I haven't read it myself. I've heard good things about it. I'm just like not a fan of the author, basically. But um that that's okay like their tastes and their education for everyone right at decor we actually created a guide for people to get started into blockchain and crypto uh, you can find it at decor.net slash guide um and that goes basically from what is a blockchain how does it work to how do i invest in a crypto project uh and how do i do it so confidently or at least know what to assess and you're right. Like the education is very diverse, and the community, the community values very different things depending on who you ask. Um, I wanted to ask you about your opinion on the on the Bitcoin Standard Book, uh, because I think the main problem with the community in general, and if you're taking input from the community, is that uh, the crypto community is very dogmatic. Uh, 
my friend Danish Mohammed, like he's a genius. He co-wrote the Ethereum Jello paper. He's been on this podcast twice. He's a brilliant guy, founder of the Panther Protocol. And he would openly say blockchains are religions because that's a lot closer to to what they really are rather than just like they're social tools or political tools, they're economic tools, but like he would just summarize it as blockchains are religions. So how, how would you prevent something like this from like becoming dogmatic if you're taking input from um, the community? Yeah, I can uh, try to, um, so there has been a lot of like discussion, especially like a few, uh, two years ago um, with flipping and like Bitcoin versus Ethereum. And as you said, it's tribalism. It's like we have, we've seen that in crypto space a lot. And mainly because like um, when you have a coin, when you start talking like these, usually they say like coin slash army in Twitter, you start to feel like you belong to a group. It just feels like you're a group that feels better. Like a lot of people fall into that. Um, But at the end, um, like I had a lot of like Bitcoin friends when Bitcoin was the main thing. Um, Bitcoin is still my first love and I still um, consider myself a Bitcoiner. But then... The whole drama that started to happen with like Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Cash, ABC, SV, like I was like, guys, we are here for the technology. We're here for decentralization. Let's move on and let's do something about this. And that conversation, as you may know, it took like more than two years and like end up with so many forks and stuff. And that's People where want I... decentralization. <laughs> People want decentralization as long as it all happens in one blockchain. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the Bitcoin um, blockchain. So... That's that's where I was like I got more drawn into Ethereum mainly because like there was a smart contract and things I could play around with the, the things I I got into space because of those because I could just click around send a transaction to a random person send, send something here and like do cool things and that's where I got into more Ethereum and as a matter of fact I bit got boycott from like some of the Bitcoin friends groups I had before which was super weird for me because I was like, guys, I'm still the same same person. Um, but um, it, has, it happens a lot. At this point, I don't see, like when you get mature enough in the space, you see that there are, they both should coexist. And you cannot have, like, as you said, like one ch- chain because I feel like the whole blockchain, the whole space is a true democratic method, like procedure. So Because if, if you don't feel like, you, like we don't agree with each other, we can just fork... Um, to another like chain, to another podcast, to another anything. And we can coexist like Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. There was ideologically different uh, mindsets there. And they were like, all right, let's just both exist. And if you get enough support, we can continue. And that's one of the beauties in this space. So if people say like, I don't like this and I like that other one, that's fine. Because there are other people that like the other one and we can just follow. And whatever that makes sense, whatever is technically savvy and like actually they get enough developer and community support just continues to be a thing. That's one of the beauties in this space, which we didn't have any before, because before there was like this monopoly of the central platforms that could just kick kick out a bunch of other people's ban a tag or do all, all those kind of things. But now they can all exist, which is nice. I I think also it's like, just like you don't want one political party ruling everything, you don't want one religion ruling everything, you don't want one person ruling the country for too long. That's exactly it, right? You don't want everything to happen in one blockchain. That's like the whole point. The whole point of it. Um, I, I was asking you guys about like your impressions on like the most common education points that exist out there for like. First of all, for Bitcoin, we can talk about Ethereum later, because I feel like Ethereum's, I mean, Bitcoin education is often very dogmatic. And I was citing the book, like the Bitcoin standard as a, as an example of that. Well, what did you just think in general of all these sources of education that are often the first point of contact for people? Well, I think there's a lot more information out there. Um I think that as people want to learn more, you kind of have to be savvy in terms of knowing how to determine if something is a good resource or not, um, and knowing whether or not something is correct uh, when you don't understand it to begin with is difficult. So how to make sure that it's actually 
something that comes from someone who understands, which is kind of, you know, one of the reasons we think that the certifications are useful. But, you know, books like um, Mastering Bitcoin, Mastering Ethereum, going to YouTube channels that have people who are following them, you know, and are making comments that show that it's it's accurate. I think that can be useful. Um, there are a lot of different places to go. But one of the reasons that we created the CBP prep book and the course is because it is hard to find the information that you need. And that's something that we're actually facing right now with the CEP is it's a more difficult test. And Ethereum, I think, is more challenging in general. And so we have a lot of people who want to become CEPs, but they don't know what they need to know yet. And they don't know where to get the information they need to know. So right now we can refer them to, you know, our study guide, we can say, check out our YouTube videos, like Cheyenne has a video from B2C 2019. But that's a little bit more in depth as it's on solidity, but we have like Kent Barton, another committee member, he has um, Ethereum explained video, but we're working on the prep book and the course so that there's again, a place that people can go to find this information where they know it's going to be accurate. I think one of the reasons people know it's going to be accurate when it comes from us is that the people who are Join, have joined C4 that are, are, participate in it. Our um, committee leaders, committee members, board members are all established in the industry as experts, basically. And so when something is pushed out from C4, like the CBP prep book, it has been vetted, basically, and so that you know that it is accurate. Does that answer your question? I'm not sure if I went on a tangent, which tends to happen. I, I, I don't think you really answered it. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> because, um, <laughs> I, I, I was just wondering what, what your impressions were about like the sources of education that you can tell are written by people who think like Bitcoin is the best thing that ever happened to the world. And yeah, how, how do you deal with that kind of education? Like Bitcoin um, Maximal? Because I I, I, I Uh, yeah, because I, I assume like you guys try and be like more centered and more. Yeah. Well, well we believe that there's value uh, I would out say, there. Like, more down to earth. There's value out there in a variety of different open blockchains, in our opinion. It's not just Bitcoin that's valuable. There are other blockchains out there like Ethereum that we think are important and serve a different purpose and are interesting. I mean, you can't force somebody to agree with you. There are going to be people out there that think that, you know, Bitcoin is the one and only. There's going to be people out there who think that Bitcoin is dead. You hear that all the time. Um, and I think really, like, it's not our job to tell people what is worth, like, believing in or worth learning about. It's for people to decide that on their own. I don't know, maybe that still doesn't answer your yeah. question. I don't know if I have an answer. I just want to add something. Yeah, the conversation was mainly about Bitcoin versus Ethereum and where you learn things. Um, as you said, like it's kind of tricky when someone wants to start learning now. There's so much noise out there that it's almost becomes impossible. There are so many like op strong opinion articles that you read. Um, like one of them, like the Bitcoin standard is a really good book to get into the space, get in the mindset, but it's, this is a personal opinion. Getting stuck there is not good. Like getting stuck in any ideology and not asking any more questions. I don't believe that is any key. And actually that's, that's any good for personal level or technology or the community overall. So it's really good to continue the conversations and not let down like others when they have like different opinions. And we've seen that a lot in like the whole tribalism that we see in like the crypto space, but mainly versus like the top five chains. And and it's not healthy, I would say, um, because like you don't have like I've seen that in Twitter that they usually read many pages of like conversations and at the end you're like, What did I do with my life for the like today? Like exactly. I don't know, have anything to like offer right now. Um so 
as long as uh, we can see that like let's say for ethereum we can do wrapped bitcoin and use it in DeFi. so there's like so many things to do but going back to your question is like if you want to learn try to be keep open-minded about everything you read and ask questions in the middle if someone tells you like this is the next bitcoin uh, which usually like scam projects or like all other like investment ideas that come about is like ask why how like who is using this why is this different than like what we have out there and what do we have out there and there are like money resources but it keep, it's a constant job like it's a kind of full-time job learning what is out there uh, like i've been in space like more than nine eight years and i'm still learning new things every day even about the things that i used to know like i keep forgetting things or things are changing um and you have to like learn more read more podcasts are pretty good for this um so yeah how do you keep up with the technology that's constantly changing evolving expanding there's so much information i think it's impossible to know everything out there you just have to do your best um to learn what you can no you can't you can't really keep up right yeah sometimes i come and talk about like i remember when i was in high school I was really jealous to these like um, scientists in like 1300s because th- there are some people that knew everything the human like everything of human knowledge. <laughs> I was always jealous. I was like, I would never be able to do that. And I remember early on when it was just Bitcoin on BitcoinTalk.org, there was this small period of time that I knew everything about Bitcoin. I was so happy because I read everything out there. But it was just maybe two days that I was like happy with that. Then I just went on a vacation for one week, came back, and I didn't know half of the things. And now with everything that's happening, because they're happening parallel, it's impossible to know mm-hmm. everything in this space. Like we can't say someone's you know, like cryptocurrencies expert, or it's impossible, which is a good thing, <laughs> I would say, because it decentralizes the knowledge as yeah. well. Yeah, I also think, Carlos, what you were talking about in terms of like Bitcoin or Ethereum, you know, we are also interested in expanding our certifications to not just these two blockchains so we obviously there needs to be a cool what's next i don't know yet um we want to have a you know more committees we want to have i mean if people are interested in volunteering and want to start a committee for a certification things like that this is not something where we have decided that these are the only open blockchains that matter these are the open blockchains the, the technology that so far we have created certifications on that we're creating education on, but we by no means think that C4 is the expert um, in terms of what matters and what should be talked about and what people should learn about. Um, we're community driven. And if the community wants there to be a benchmark of knowledge for a different cryptocurrency, a different blockchain, some, something else related to what we do, then that is something that we are definitely open to. Um, it's really important for the community to decide what matters and what's relevant and what's needed as well. And so I don't know, what what hmm. certification do you want? <laughs> uh, I would want to get certified in... Just, I mean, that there are like 10,000 things you can do nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. You, I, I know that you guys are going to come at like the maximal stake and all that from a pretty balanced perspective because I know Kent fired on it in your, in your committee. And when he came to the podcast, we had a great chat about maximalists and how much we hate them basically so now i'm a ken baron maximalist uh, and I, I knew you guys, you guys were going to be pretty balanced on that regard uh and we were talking about nfts as well a lot and i think that that would be like the next big thing if you want to create somewhat like standardized education for professionals that are just arriving at the industry i, I think that would be a great thing to for them to learn about because those are somewhat like chain agnostic and there are so many applications and so many things you have to do right to get them to actually do what they're supposed to do and at the same time the regulations need to catch up to that to to them to allow all of these tools so that'll be really interesting if you rolled out a 
NFT certification right now, I think it would look pretty lame because, like I said, there's nothing defined yet. It's pretty novel, but it's really interesting. Um, yeah, there are so many. For so people that are interested, in, go ahead. Just, I'm just gonna finish this one. Uh, for people that are interested in keeping up with blockchain technology, like like Cheyenne said, it's impossible to keep up these days. Like you, you cannot go on a one minute vacation before they invent something something else. So. I would advise people to get really into one very specific niche of blockchain that interests the most and go hardcore into it. That I, I think that that pays off for people. Um, because nowadays there are like financial applications, legal applications, technological applications that are for blockchains, applications that are for DAGs, applications in one chain, applications in this other chain. Uh, if you just pursue one one very specific field you're more likely than to do better than if you try to just learn the whole thing aren't you see and i would say the opposite you have to learn about all of the others before you can decide where you want your focus to be cheyenne are you the tiebreaker what do you think no actually so it really depends who the audience is sometimes like there is a like yeah we want to talk to like students in high school to say like find your niche or you want to talk about to actually like academics or people that are outside the space that want to get into so for like the students i would say like just they, they're coming from a different world and different um like generation like they can like nfts for them would make sense right away because like they they've seen in-app purchase and all this kind of digital currency and transactions um it's kind of harder for me to like talk to them about this because there is so much we can do like earn to play like play to earn and all these kind of things it's way more in that level um or like other things but like for general academics or you know, like scholars i usually there is this book by kevin verbach called um what's it called the blockchain and the new architecture of trust which I love the book. Like it goes through like everything that can be done and how blockchain decentralization and like regulation can work together. Do they supplement each other? Do they go against each other? Like how one, and one of the examples there I really love to like I use sometimes is like you can use blockchain decentralization to make, enforce the right behavior in the like regulated world. Meaning that like removing the extra trust that some it is in some places and replacing them with like blockchain and smart contract. They don't have to go. It's either this or that. You can just combine them. And that book would be really good start to like know everything that there is at least to start and then go deeper mm -hmm. in there. There's not that much about like this whole NFT random gen degen stuff in there, but I mean, that's for the new generation. I wonder if NFTs in general are going to start bringing more people into the space who want to learn about it. Um, I was saying this on something we were talking, you know, earlier on our C4 live stream, but I was on Instagram last night looking at something. Um, it's like a history profile that I, or account that I follow, and they're starting to do NFTs. And I was like, whoa. Worlds colliding, cool, and started to read more about it. And I, I, I had the same. Yeah, I had the same thing the other day. Just like I, I follow a puppies account, not really a history account. <laughs> they also started doing NFTs. I was pretty sure. Did you just wait? What account was it? I wonder if it was the same one. I it, no, it's it's an account for cat and puppies pictures. I don't think. Oh, I, don't think ooh, I want to know about that too. <laughs> I want to hear about that one as well. I'll, I'll find it. I, I, I'll send it, I'll send it to you. Okay, I cool. Promise. Well, it's just neat to see like, okay, so people who are just interested in photographs of history are now getting this introduction to NFTs through this. And maybe they hadn't even heard of them before. And same thing with what you're talking about. I think it's interesting anytime what we're doing expands into other, I don't know if you want to say genres, I don't know what the, phrase, the right word would be, but to see how it's valuable in different ways and expanding people's minds rather than just people who are saying like, you know, there, there was that dialogue for a long time about Bitcoin being for criminals. And then it's like, well, let's move into all the other things that you can learn about with this. And hopefully you'll then understand that that's not actually the case. And then you'll find out like, oh, what are NFTs? Let me learn about this. And if it, if it collides with something else you're interested in, I think that it makes it easier to start to learn about the technology behind it. 
Nowadays, if you're using Bitcoin for crime, you're a pretty lousy criminal, aren't you? Um, well, even back <laughs> then, the like, well, money. it's traceable, but <laughs> but I think that's something that the general public maybe didn't know. But I I don't think I hear that as often. Like I know financial advisors who are like, "Hey, um, what what's this?" CBP that you offer, like people that are in the traditional finance world are starting to reach out to me now. And um, I think that's a good sign. Sure. Uh, yeah, I just want to say that like NFTs are like, basically becoming like these um, gateway in, inside the whole space. Like I've seen a lot of people that are into NFTs. Also the airdrops I've seen like a lot of like, especially in developing countries, people are using these different protocols um just to in a hope to get the airdrop but using them that means more users for these people getting exposed to the ideas and all these kind of things but one problem is that there is is like people that are now like nft visions they don't follow the initial ideology the decentralization they don't really know about all these kind of things and also the security best practices there are so many people on twitter we see that like their accounts get hacked and like 100K or $200,000 are stolen from their account with a few like priceless crypto punks, mainly because they were holding everything in a MetaMask and shared their screen on like some random Discord channel. Mm-hmm. And you see that like they're missing all these fundamental details to keep these things safe. And like, I think that's one of the opportunities we should like push for more education material. Although this short attention span of, span of all the people doesn't help with like teaching how to do best practices, <laughs> but and there is something that should be done there on the education side. There is something great that that you that Jessica said there. Uh, I just want to j- jump on that as well because right now with. I'm very much a fan of Ethereum. I love Ethereum with all my heart. Uh, right now, Ethereum is not useful for anything other than DeFi just because of the sheer costs of using it. Uh, so if you're using Ethereum, you better make money with it. And the same, and Bitcoin is basically an application for money, right? And it's not that good for money as cash. It's better as an investment assist. So you have two applications of blockchains that are very much based on money and finance and i reckon like a lot of people coming to your certifications must be coming like you said from traditional finance or from professions or for reasons related to finance just because that's the applications that you have right there but something like nfts what i think is really cool is that people are using blockchains for an application that is not directly related to money or anything it's more related to how we think of expressing our identities. It's more related to how we think about our professions in some ways, because now musicians can use it, artists can use it. Uh, hell, when we did the when we did the blockchain guide, we just decided instead of going through that whole paperwork of registering it as intellectual property might as well just mint it as an nft and put the nft address of the of the actual guide on the bottom corner of the guide and like if someone wants to wants to check who's the intellectual owner of that guide well you check who owns the who owns the wallet with the nft and that's just like I feel like that's what what that what you said is right. Like this is bringing a lot of people that are not from the from the finance world or that do not come from money, and they're coming in to use decentralized technologies, and they're going to have to know the wallets. They're gonna to have to figure out how this stuff works and why it works and why is the way it is. Because if you buy a five dollar NFT. You probably don't care much about it, but if you buy something from a creator that you value and an artist that you follow, all this, you might as well. At some point, you're gonna get thinking, okay, but how do I make sure that I actually own this thing, or what says that it has more value if I have it rather if someone comes and screenshot it? So that's what I, where I think like a lot of people are getting uh, blockchain peeled, and I think that's pretty cool. Some of these NFTs are, it looks like, uh, I remember in like, um, like high school, there was these these, candies that looked like a cigarette. Um, So a lot, that was like a gateway for a lot of people to actually smoke later on. 
and I feel like a lot of NFTs are like that, that you get this style, you can use the blockchain, but you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and you might become an addict or <laughs> just forget everything and move on. Cause I've seen that in people that like around ICO time in 2017, they got in on the peak, basically peer pressure and like kind of greed to like they formed into like a bunch of random projects that lost money. Uh, they stole everything and never touched anything again. Even though if most of them held their money, like we're hodling, hodling, they would still have like, they would profit now. But I mean, it's kind of not for everyone in that sense. You need kind of a stronger heart. <laughs> well, and that, that like, here's something you're interested in that is the gateway to it, right? So you like candy. So here's a candy cigarette. Okay, that, you know, like it takes you to something else. So like, you like kitties. So what about crypto kitties? Or you like, you know, whatever it is, you like history. And then here's an NFT, you like music. It's like, you don't need to have, your interest doesn't need to start with blockchain technology. It doesn't need to start with Ethereum. It can, it evolves from something else. And that I think is extremely exciting because it's bringing people in who don't have the technical know-how and potentially don't even have the interest in that into our world and they begin to see the value in it. And I think that it's interesting from people who just want to learn about it to then people who want to participate in it. And then it extends to people who say like, oh, I want to create something. I've, I have artwork. I, I want to somehow bring this to this new technology. And it's it's like I constantly say this. I'm like, we're at such an exciting time. And then like <laughs> a week later, I'm like, oh, it's such an exciting time. But it's like because it evolves, <laughs> it's constantly a new exciting time, which is why this industry is awesome. Like we said earlier, I learn something every day and I've been involved in this for like five years. So... This is why I would say that people should zoom in into the area that they're interested on, because like you said, it gets really complex and you lose interest, right? Like I, I, I like these things and I was learning about DeFi 2.0 the other day. So like about all these solutions like Tokenback and Olympus DAO and liquidity, decentralized liquidity in Torchin and all this. And I'm like, okay, this is starting to get close to the point where I'm going to like not understand anything. <laughs> And I'm already having a hard time knowing how these things are not Ponzi's. So like, uh, you might as well go, of course, like you said, learn about the whole thing, learn about how blockchain works, learn about this ecosystem, but zoom into the areas that you think you could pursue because it is a novel field, right? But I think like you decided, okay, I've reached this limit. And maybe maybe that's because you're like, I am not interested in learning more about it or the amount of time it would take to understand like how tokamak works, like the extra steps you have to kind of decide like, okay, I only have so many hours in the day. I'd rather spend my time also learning about this, which I think applies to life in general. Um, I am a big reader and I'm constantly finding that like, I'm not a quitter. So if I start reading something, I want to finish it. But then I have that debate with myself, like this book sucks. Like, why am I wasting my time reading exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that about Tokamak. <laughs> I'm just saying in general, like when I'm, when I'm reading something, I then have to say like, okay, I've start, I'm invested in this, but how invested in, am I in this? Do I want to move to something else? And like, I think that's with anything that we start, we have to decide how much further down the rabbit hole we go and are we drawn to it? And then once you start to get in there, it might take you in different ways, you know, like what Cheyenne's doing now for his full-time job. This wasn't what, like I knew him from before and then he's transitioned into this different role, but he's taken his understanding of technology with him. And, you know, Cheyenne, I'm sure you wouldn't be in this position if you hadn't kind of grown with Ethereum as it's been shifting and changing. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, my whole, I, I did smart contract auditing for three years and that was like constantly exposed to like new projects, like kind of project, as you said, like they're borderline weird. They're like, why are you doing this? Um, and just working with different teams towards this project made, gave me this whole skill set that if you give me a project, I can just go through this, the whole system 
have a mental model of like what that system does, how it might be attacked or where it would be. And that helps me now in my role to like better do decisions on like overall like decision, like what to do with like this much money, what to do with the funds, like how to defy strategies. Um, there was something I want to add, but I don't remember right now. So I want to jump. I want to jump in about something, Cheyenne, and then if you think of it, we can go back to it. I. Oh no! Oh, yeah, cool. I, I just I remember it. Yeah, I just want to say that like this space, if you want to professionally do work in the crypto space, you should be sure that not a day you're gonna spend in your comfort zone. Every day it's gonna be outside your comfort zone, and things. If you want to progress and be better at this. Um, cause I know a lot of people that are still like trading and they love, like what they do, but it's like at the end of the day, you just have a bunch of random numbers in your mind. Do you want to get outside that comfort zone, start learning something new, start using a different decentral exchange, be liquidity provider, do something outside than just going one pair to the other. And that's, that's what adds a lot of value to this whole space. I think it's also, it makes it kind of fun. Like I, I haven't mentioned yeah. this yet and I, I should have already, but C4 has a committee for the cryptocurrency security standard and we're creating, or well, the exam has already been created. So it's the CCSSA exam, the cryptocurrency security auditor exam. And this standard is used by companies already to evaluate their own security standards where they kind of need work, what they're doing well, and the auditor exam is coming into place so that there can be somebody else externally who reviews the security practices. Um, Cheyenne and I were joking earlier about um, where you put your private keys, how you make sure that you're keeping them private um, and not sharing them publicly. Um, and we've got so many examples of that not going well for companies. But so this standard's been created to try to guide people. And in terms of like education, this is the sort of thing where when I first got into crypto, there I didn't have that like guidebook. If I'd started a company that dealt with crypto, this is the sort of thing like that I would have needed that didn't exist at the time. But I think that there are so many things happening at once that there's a lot, I, I think there's a lot we can do to continue to improve the space and continue learning about how to improve the space. And I think part of that is standards um, and these benchmarks and having mm -hmm. a way to measure what people know while at the same time navigating our belief in things that are open sourced and decentralized, right? It's like they're they're kind of conflicting with each other. Yeah, I, I gotta say, um, personally, the kind to complain a lot about standardized education and about my own education, because I, basically I went to marketing school be, before digital marketing. <laughs> so all, everything I learned was rendered useless very soon afterwards. But I, I was thinking about like, what you guys are doing and standardizing blockchain education and i think that's super cool uh, because that just reflects on like how much the field is growing i mean we're super lucky that we're a field that's booming through these times in general and that's not the reality of other fields and we tend to forget that when we're in blockchain but the reality is like oh no bitcoin did 10 percent once in the last month but everything else has been dipping like crazy for for two years and we're just in such a privileged space to be right now um these what you're doing signals that there's a lot of more people coming and i think that's pretty good and yeah well when you, when you think about it everything that we have in the 21st century society we owe it to standardized education pretty much don't we so, yeah, and I, just but I congratulations like, on what you're doing, guys. Thank you. I think there's a neat sort of addition to that in which we want the standards to be created by the community, right? Like in traditional educational systems, the standards are created by, you know, within this hierarchy. And we don't want that to be how our exams exist. We want the community to be a part of it, which is why we have this CrowdCue platform in which people can actually contribute questions. So people who are CEPs or CBPs can gain access to this and make suggestions. And Cheyenne, 
um, we were doing something with this earlier where he's on the platform and he added a question that somebody suggested we have on the exam. And so it's now there. People can then propose changes and it can kind of reiterate until it becomes a question that is valued on the exam and is, you know, and perhaps it already exists and it needs to be tweaked a different way. And I think we found, Cheyenne, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the question that was asked was a good question, but it needed to be split. It was like asking too many things. Is that what it was? Yeah. So th that, that was one of the challenges we had with the whole exam was like, the question was like, um, why proof of stake is less centralized than proof of work? Um, and the reason was like mostly like economic economic incentives, or I don't remember exactly the answer that they were suggested. But going back to that question, it's not based on facts necessarily right now, right? Like we there are some ideas exactly. here and there, but you can't say it is less centralizing or more centralizing right now. Because even like with Bitcoin mining, like the proof of work, like the idea was something, and then the GPU mining came in, it kind of changed, and then ASIC mining came in, the whole change, mining pools came, and there was like centralized on top of a decentral network. Um, and then there was like these implementations like P2 pool, which wanted to decentralize mining pools, but they didn't succeed because some other like factors. So that question was a good question, but we couldn't add it as a, to the exam because it's our opinion, someone's opinion at this point in time. Uh, we're going to have a lot of those kind of challenges for, about the merge, about ETH2, because their specification is not finalized. It's not out there. So we're kind of like stepping slowly into the ETH2 and the merge stuff. Uh, we had similar thing with EIP-1559 that we had to go through every question that we mentioned, gas, fees, all these kind of things, and make sure they still correct. There were some questions we had to remove because they were like non -re not relevant anymore. And we were like, who's getting the fees? Who's getting the gas? It's like, well, miner is getting some, some is burned. Like, you know, it's, it becomes impossible to like answer that question. I think <clears throat> so. It's that, yeah, that right. really reminds me of what we were just talking about in terms of education and things becoming no longer accurate. And how do you know if you're reading an article that was written a week ago that it might not be accurate anymore if it hasn't been updated? And like you were saying, Cheyenne, we experienced that with the exam, and I'm working on the CEP prep book right now, and EIP 1559 happened, what was it, the day after I was like writing about gas fees? Yeah. And I was like, you were like, I understand everything about gas. And we we're like, mm, and not I don't anymore. Understand about <laughs> gas. Yeah. So it's like in a second, it just flipped. And like you're saying, how do you keep track of everything? You can't. And so that was something that somehow I did not recognize that this was going to be changing right away. I should have, but I didn't. And then suddenly it's like, okay, now we're going to go back to the beginning again. So I think in terms of learning, it's also trying to find sources that are updated, accurate to date, which is, I mean, a huge challenge for any of us. Because even in the when you work in the industry, like we were saying, you're like scrambling around like, oh, God, there's 30 new things today. I only have time to learn 10 of them. How do I make sure these 10 things are accurate? And it's very different than how we have seen education traditionally. Like Carlos, you were saying you have a marketing degree. And it's different. And how do you prove now that you understand digital marketing when that wasn't a part of the course? But I think what C4 is doing is so unique because we're saying we don't have all the answers. I mean, imagine going into a college class and saying, here, I'm going to prove to you that I understand this because I've done self-study. And now I'm going to help you write the final exam. And your professor has to listen to you. And the other students are like, yeah, let's help write this mm. exam. And so everyone's joining in. So it's not just the professor saying, I have all of the answers, let me tell you. It's like the students know stuff too. And so let's use the knowledge that can be gained from a collective rather than just one source. And then the professor is used to, you know, disseminate that information and to, you know, maybe help do some different things. I don't know, this analogy has gotten away with me, gotten away from me. But the point is, is that I think that the community adds a lot of value. And we're seeing that with our exams. And, you know, having someone like Cheyenne as a committee leader, who's on the ground running with Ethereum is something that helps 
us a lot, helps me a lot. He'll send me something like, this is what's going on. I'm like, okay, good. Send me more. <laughs> I can't keep up with yeah. it. Of course. And well, guys, I've, uh, I've had a really fun time chatting with you, with you both. Um, this has been a really fun conversation. I really hope, like, as a member of a crypto research firm, I'm hoping we can collaborate in, in something at some point. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, any parting thoughts that you'd like to give our audience? I know that we've given them a lot also already. So uh, I would say check out what we're doing on social media. We're at Learn More with C4 on Twitter, and CryptoConsortium.org is our website. So definitely check that out. Learn more. If you're interested in participating, you can send us an email, um, info at cryptoconsortium.org. You can reach out on Twitter. Um, we're always looking for community members to participate in what we're doing. And we are all community members and we want what we're doing to be accessible to the community because we are the community. So I guess I would just say, please, if you want to be a part of this, we would love to have you. Yeah, just to add uh, to what Jessica said, if you love teaching, educate, like writing educational material, if you're learning something and you're taking notes on on that, uh, C4 would be a good place to publish them. Um, and we might even have like NFTs later on for our like, authors or something, just like putting it out there. There's so many but, options. Uh, for now, yeah, so many options. And um, yeah, ho hopefully, like this. Um, in the next summer, we're going to have the next conference if that works out and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so and much, Carlos. And thank you for being here. Thank, thank you too. And thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that you guys made the time. And well, thanks for everyone listening. We'll see you around. Bye-bye. All right. Take care.